most of the churches I preach in in the United States, we would be pronouncing the benediction right now uh, because of the hour. Could someone tell me about generally how long I'm supposed to preach today? <laughs> I don't want any tomatoes to be heading my way. <laughs> 20, 25 minutes, kind of a norm? Yep. Okay, great. Well, then I won't go more than 40. Uh, my name is Dan Dunn. I'm a pastor, a United Methodist pastor. Please forgive me for that. Uh, but before I was pastor, I was a believer, and that's the most important thing. And uh, God works in mysterious ways in God's church and in God's tapestry. Uh, after 25 years of ministry in local churches, God called Nancy and me to uh, leave the local church ministry and begin to focus full-time on ministry in Venezuela and Costa Rica, where I had been doing some work as the mission pastor of a large United Methodist Church in the Atlanta area, and uh, that call happened in 2006. In 2010, part of that call resulted in Nancy and I actually moving to Venezuela to live full-time, where we lived for two years full-time, and we're now come-and-go missionaries. Uh, the, the visa requirements there make it impossible for us to live full-time, so we're now come-and-go missionaries. And our first month or two while we were living in Venezuela, we had heard about Sam and Lisa Paris, who were Baptist missionaries in the same city we were in. And we had heard about some fellow named Nigel, uh, who was from Ireland, speaking Spanish. And we, that, we, that did not, we couldn't make that work in our brains. Uh, we just couldn't make that work. Forgive me my southern United States accent. I hope you understand me. Uh, but you know, This is actually how we think God talks. But uh, So... We hosted, we, by email and text, we agreed that the, the, the American, United States, no, the English-speaking missionaries, sorry, I know you're not from the States, the English-speaking missionaries in the city of Barquisimeto should get together once in a while and just visit with one another and pray. And it was really important for the two of us because we were so new. You know, where do you go to pay the gas bill? Where do you go to do X? And so we finally got to meet Nigel, and they came to our home for this gathering, and uh, we've been really close friends ever since. Nigel and the Parises were the three folks who helped us not feel so lost uh, our first few months in Venezuela. And it was so great to see the body of Christ operating. Uh, we were United Methodists. I don't know if you have a denomination. It doesn't matter. The Parises were Baptists. But none of that mattered to us. We were people who loved Jesus and whom Jesus loved, called to help other people in Venezuela come to know this same Jesus and his love. And that's all that mattered. And that's part of what I'm experiencing here today and a great part of what I'm hearing Ronnie, it was Ronnie, right, talk about uh, experiencing in some of the ministry that y'all do around the world. I'm, may I tell the story about the church in Siberia who wants to help feed kids in India? Because that's a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. Uh, and thank you, Neville, for your testimony about street witnessing. Where'd you go? I was going to thank you for that. Uh, that's not something I'm comfortable doing either. We saw at least, we were in Dublin yesterday, we saw at least two separate groups of people doing that. Uh, it was such a blessing, and we stopped and visited with them a minute. Pray, I think we prayed with one of them, and it's such a blessing to do that. And uh, you're so right. Now, what matters is helping people's names get written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And uh, God's amazing grace just completely astounds me every time I think about it. Uh, I first said yes to Jesus in 1973, and uh, so I'm 
That was at the age of one. <laughs> um, but so I've been a Christian. I can't do the math. So I've been a Christian that long, and I still am amazed that God loves me. I mean, because I know me, <laughs> and I'm not very lovable. But God's love for me isn't dependent on how lovable I am. It's dependent on how loving God is. Sometimes I like to ask people, what's, if you were going to make a list of your ten favorite chapters in the whole Bible, which Bible chapters would you choose to be on your list of ten? Now, that would be a tough thing to do for most of us, those of us who read the Bible a lot anyway. Uh, now, mo- many of us would probably include Psalm 23, what a great psalm. Some of us would probably include Romans 8. You know, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Paul ends that great chapter talking about, you know, the depth and the breadth and the height of God's love. And uh, some of us would maybe want to include the first chapter or two of Genesis where we're told about how it all started, the creation story. Uh, so there are a lot of great chapters, and I would want to include Gen- uh, Revelation 21 and 22. You know, there came down from heaven a new earth, and there will be no more crying or tears or pain. Uh, and the leaves of the trees, uh, the leaves of the tree of life will be for the healing of the nations. I don't know if you remember that verse in those chapters. Uh, but the chapter I want to focus on today is a chapter that's probably familiar to many of you, and it's Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there. Luke chapter 15. This is the chapter where Jesus tells us three stories about things or people that are lost. There's a lost coin, a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. Each of these stories merits attention to itself. You could easily preach a sermon on each story by itself. I'm not going to preach three sermons in one. I like to preach on the chapter as a whole because I think these three stories work very well together. I think Jesus was building them in a sequence, sort of building up to a climax. And uh, it's very interesting. A lot of times when we look at this chapter, we almost ignore or don't notice the first two verses. All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So this is the context of these three stories, and this is a very common scene in the Gospels. Uh, the common people, the sinners, tax collectors, uh, the folks who, like we used to be, hopefully used to be, <laughs> who weren't sort of part of the, the people of God, who didn't really experience God on a regular basis, these people were attracted to Jesus. They saw that there was something different in Jesus. He was not like the normal religious leaders, and, and they sensed that when he was teaching them, he wasn't teach, teaching them with a condescending tone, as in, uh, well, you're not doing it right, so you're not going to be a part of God's people. No, Jesus was saying, you know, there really is a way to be right with God, and let me help you, let me help you do that. Let me help you get there. Because he wanted them to be a part of God's fold. Whereas, whether it's true or not, I don't know, but the the common people of that time seemed to sense that the Jewish leaders of that time didn't really want them to be a part of the fold. They kind of liked, you know, the leaders liked being the them, you know, the ones, the righteous ones. And they kind of liked the fact that they weren't the righteous ones. And uh, so they, this was a very common scene. 
And we see more than once in the different Gospels this grumbling. And I don't know if your verse says grumbling or muttering, uh, but the, the, these leaders in, in this version says they were grumbling. He eats with sinners. He welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so that's the context. So let's keep that in mind. So there are the common people around Jesus and the grumbling leaders, and they're all hearing the same story. Okay, so Jesus first tells the story about the lost sheep. Suppose someone among you had 100 sheep and lost one of them. Wouldn't he leave the, my print is so small. Wouldn't he leave the other 99 in the pasture and search for the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he is thrilled and places it on his shoulders. When he arrives home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, Celebrate with me because I found my lost sheep. In the same way I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life, some versions say who repents, than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and lives. Wow. Now when you think of the context, the common people and the leaders... Jesus has a message for both of them. <laughs> he's saying to the common people who the leaders think don't really know God, he's saying, you know, if even one of you, I'll use the southern United States expression, gets right with God, if even one of you repents, if even one of you becomes a part of the fold, that's more joyful for the angels and God in heaven than 99 of these folks over here who are already righteous. I like to say to folks when I give altar calls sometimes, give your life to Jesus today. The angels are ready to throw a party and they need a good reason. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Heaven throws a party. Heaven threw 551 parties in South, as a result of what took place in Southampton. The angels probably have indigestion from all that birthday cake. So this first story, uh, one of the things I like to say about this first story is it reminds us that God wants no one to be lost. God wants no one to be lost. It is not God's desire that Saddam Hussein would have been lost. Whether he was or not, I don't know. I would take a guess, but I don't know. It was not God's desire that Adolf Hitler be lost. It is not God's desire that I be lost. It is not God's desire that your neighbor be lost. It is not God's desire that your coworker be lost. It is not God's desire that you be lost. God is not sitting up in heaven saying, ha, 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 you're getting what you deserve. That is not God's attitude according to Jesus here in this parable. Rather, God is saying as God has come down to earth in the form of Christ, as God has emptied himself in humility to come be one of us, he's saying, I want more than anything in the world for you to say yes to me and my love. My grace is so amazing that it includes everyone. Help the angels throw a party in heaven. So Jesus was saying to the common people sitting there of that day, you know, God really wants you to come home. He's saying that to you too. So there's a message here for Christians. The message for Christians is 99%, we'll use the 99 and the 1 from the parable, 99% of our prayers 
and our resources and our thinking and our energies don't necessarily have to take me literally, but let's think about it at least in terms of an analogy. 99% of what we do as church should make some contribution to helping lost people come to know Jesus. If you looked at church budgets, do you think that's what we would see? <laughs> no. Most church budgets would reflect that about 80 to 85 to 90% of what we invest, at least financially, has to do with keeping us happy. <laughs> at least in the States. I can't speak for Northern Ireland. Okay. Uh, so I think there's a message here for Christians. It's a great reminder from Jesus. You ought to be about helping lost people come to know me. The message for non-Christians, if you aren't a believer today, is God loves the fire out of you. God loves you more than anybody can explain, and God is inviting you to come home. Now, the second story Jesus tells here explains how thorough Jesus' search is for you if you do not yet know him. And this story starts in verse 8. Or what woman, if she owns ten silver coins and loses one of them, won't light a lamp and sweep the house, searching her home carefully until she finds it. When she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Celebrate with me, because I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, joy breaks out in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who changes both heart and life. Once again, we hear that expression, joy breaks out over one sinner who changes both heart and life. So this is a very similar story to the previous one, but there's an important difference. Scholars tell us that the, the fact that the ten silver coins are mentioned, most likely, you know, there's a lot that we really don't know because it's been 2,000 years since Jesus' time, but most likely this was a reference to a headband that married ladies wore after they were married that included 10 of the silver coins that were a part of their dowry, okay? And so this, the value of this lost coin isn't simply, what's a standard coin in the pound system? What, what shilling? 10p, 20p. Ten, okay, so 50p, a 50p coin? Okay, so it's not just a 50p coin. Uh, I left out an important part. Let me back up. I do apologize. A, a tradition had developed in the first century among Jewish women that if they were mad with their husband about something, they removed one of the coins <laughs> to indicate that they were upset about something. That's the important part that I left out. <laughs> and so in this case, the woman wasn't mad at her husband, but the coin fell out of the headband. It was lost, so she wanted to find it. So, so as not to accidentally communicate to her husband when he came home that she was angry with him about something when, in fact, she wasn't. So the value of the coin was much more than 50p. It represented harmony in the matrimonial relationship. It represented the preciousness of her relationship with her husband. I believe that this particular story Jesus is very intentional in telling two stories back-to-back -back about a lost sheep and a lost coin. I think the first story focuses on the seeking nature of the shepherd. The second story focuses on the preciousness 
of that which is lost. Cindy, you are precious in God's sight. Nancy, you are precious in God's sight. Ronnie, you are precious in God's sight. Ralph, Donna, Nigel, you are precious in God's sight. It's not just that God sort of likes you. Kim, you're precious in God's sight. I don't know if that expression communicates as well in Northern Ireland as it does in the States, but that's to say somebody's precious to you really means something. We are all precious in God's sight. And there is no nook or cranny or corner that God is unwilling to go into to sweep away our blindness and the dust and the dirt of our lives in order to seek us and find us and call us to him. This sweeping image is not accidental. Jesus doesn't tell accidental stories. (laughs) You don't sweep a clean room, do you? Not normally. Now, somebody with OCD might sweep a clean room, and I would be one of those. You don't sweep a clean room. So Jesus is willing to go into the dirtiest place wherever we find ourselves, whether it be for our own, through our own fault or the fault of other people, or just it's just happened. No matter where we are, Jesus is willing to go through the muck and mire and find us when we are lost. And he's willing to do that for you, and he's willing to do that for anyone you know or don't know who finds themselves in that kind of place. I'd like to read Psalm 139, verses 7 through 9. For those of you who, are, who read the Bible some, it's for, these are familiar verses. Where could I go to get away from your spirit? Where could I go to escape your presence? If I went up to heaven, you'd be there. If I went down to the grave, you would be there too. If I could fly on the wings of dawn, stopping to rest only on the far side of the ocean, even there your hand would guide me. Even there your strong hand would hold me tight. There's nothing you can do or have done. There's nowhere you can go or have been that can keep God from continuing to seek you and want to love you and draw you into a relationship with him. God is seeking you. God is seeking any person in your life who does not know Jesus. And the third, But the third story tells us something very important. We have to reach a place in our lives where we're willing to be found. <laughs> the first story tells us God is a seeking God. The second story tells us we are precious in God's sight and he wants to find us. The third story tells us we've got to come to our senses and want to be found. This starts in verse 11. Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. Soon afterward, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. There he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. When he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Now, in case you don't know, this is really bad for a Jew to be among pigs, okay? 
so he's not only among them, he's feeding them. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate. I've never eaten pig food. I don't imagine it's very appetizing. But no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I'm starving to death. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me as one of Take me on as one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him. A Jewish man running is extremely uncommon. A Jewish man felt it was a sign of weakness. So this is very uncommon. Um, His father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Jesus ends each of these stories with celebration. We're not going to go into the older brother part of this today, okay? Uh, Too many of us might be the older brother. (laughs) These three stories together teach us how proactive God is in God's amazing grace. God's love is not a passive love. God's love is a proactive, seeking, wants to find you love. If you're already a Christian, that means he wants us to be active, proactive, seeking kind of people. He wants us to be intentional about reaching lost people. One of the mistakes that Christians make is we begin to enjoy, which we should, fellowship with other Christians, Bible study, prayer time with other Christians, all of those things that nurture us, but we begin to enjoy them so much that we start to live in Christian bubbles. And we don't ever have any interaction with non-Christians unless we bump into them at the grocery store and don't speak to them or the cashier at the restaurant, but don't speak to them much except thank you, how much change, etc. But we, don't, we tend not to have real intentional relationships with those who aren't believers. We get wrapped up in our Christian bubbles. I'm not saying we shouldn't fellowship, pray, have Bible studies, etc. I'm saying don't make that the only thing you do. The purpose of all that is to launch us. The church is not intended to be a fort. The church is not intended to be a corral. The church is intended to be a launching pad into the community. That's what the church is meant to be. And I'm so glad to see that spirit among all of you here and among your ministries here. I've sensed that. And so I think this message today is more of a reminder than fresh news for some of you. But reminders are good, right? That's why we celebrate Christmas every year. And, uh, well, some birthday reminders are better than others. (laughs) But reminders are good. Some of you today, though, may not quite really know Jesus. You sort of think you do, but you're not really cemented in that relationship. Let me just remind you, God loves you so much. You are so precious in God's sight. And he invites you to come home today. So he invites Christians today to be newly enthused and committed to being about reaching the lost. And he invites non-Christians or not so sure if I am a Christian 
to say a firmer yes to Jesus, to come to your senses and be willing to say, Father, I have sinned against you or and whoever else you may have sinned against, and I'm ready to come home in a spirit of humility, and will you receive me? And, oh, he'll say yes. He'll absolutely say yes. So I don't know if you have an altar call custom here or not, uh, but I would encourage us to have some way of responding. Neville, maybe you could pray about how we should do this, but I would encourage us to have some way for Christians to respond today and sort of make a new or a fresh commitment to being about reaching lost people and non-Christians, if there are any here, to saying yes to Jesus for the first time. That would be my invitation. If you could help us, Pastor Neville, sort of 